Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. We are doing a series of podcasts with the Centre for Education and Youth, the Think in Action tank, formerly known as LKM Co. We're going to be taking a look at some of their research reports in a bit more detail in this series and today I am joined by Will Millard, Head of Engagement at the Centre for Education and Youth. Hello Will. Hello. And we're going to be talking um, about assessment. Now you um, previously published um, some, some research in this area and you're on your way to publishing um, some more. Um, so could you give us a bit of an overview of, of, of what it is you've, you've been doing in this area? Yeah, sure. So the first research report um, that you're referring mm. to was Testing the Water which was a report commissioned by Pearson and we published it at the end of 2017. And that report looked at how we, the sector, schools, mm. policymakers, DfE, Ofsted and so on, can redress the balance so that classroom teachers feel more able to spend more time yeah. on the sorts of assessment that they think are most valuable for teaching and learning. We'll no doubt come back and talk more about the mm. sorts of challenges that we uncovered during that research but I'm sure you know a lot of them won't come as a huge surprise with yeah. the accountability pressures um, that teachers face and that schools face they can spend more time on um, forms of assessment that perhaps aren't as directly relevant to teaching and learning day to day yeah but we can come back and talk about that <laughs> <laughs> in some more detail the next project you're um, mm. talking about making waves also commissioned by Pearson um, and that is looking at innovations which are helping to address teacher workload and teacher confidence in assessments okay. at different levels of the system. Mm. So individual classroom teachers who are introducing innovations that are helping them in their day-to-day -day practice, schools that are introducing um, interventions, groups of schools, and then we're also, uh, and I say this with a glint in my eye, um, we're looking at jurisdiction level interventions. So, okay. Um, and the, the glint is because I've just come back from a fortnight in Canada, in Very British nice. Columbia, yeah. looking at the curriculum and assessment reforms that they are implementing over there. Okay. Um, so really exciting um, project for us um, and I hope something that will have you know real meaning and and really concrete recommendations for both schools and for policymakers. Okay and um, so um, you did for testing the water um, quite a large-scale consultation and I'm sure you can you can tell us a bit more of the about the size and 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 scope of it and, and what did that exercise uncover? So you're right it was an extensive consultation it ran for nearly a year mm. um, we did a whole range of different activities um, to capture as wide a range of perspectives as possible so um, we did some polling so we commissioned YouGov to undertake um, you know a poll of just over a thousand teachers across the country mm -hmm. um, asking them about their confidence in assessment expertise, things like access to training um, and so on. We ran a series of workshops, so um, we went out across the country, we spoke with um, teachers, we spoke with school leaders, we spoke with governors, um, we spoke with parents, we spoke with a really wide range of groups in a sort of focus group workshop yeah. type setting. Okay. 
um, I suppose exploring some of the challenges around assessment in the classroom um, and you know the kind of parallel challenges of accountability and, and, and teaching. We um, linked up with a whole range of organisations. This was really exciting. So we worked with organisations like the Charter College of Teaching. We worked with teachers unions and school mm. leaders unions like NAHT, ASCOL, right, NEU. Okay, okay. We worked with academic institutions. We linked up with organisations like Cambridge Assessment um, and with various different universities. And we um, not only interviewed experts from those organisations, but we also asked them to submit think pieces, short think pieces, mm which answered the question, if I could wave a magic wand and change one thing about assessment, it would be wow. dot, dot, dot. okay. So, you know, we've got people like Tim Oates, people like Rob Coe, people like mm. Alison uh, Peacock from the Charter College talking about, talking about that. So it was a really... Uh, oh, and case studies, of course. One yeah. of the most important parts mm. of the report was that we went out into schools and saw what they were doing day to day. So it was a really, really extensive consultation um, and produced, I think, some... I hope people feel very sensitive recommendations to the realities of the environment in which schools are operating. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's something so fundamental. And I guess just, just the term assessment, I mean, that encompasses all sorts of things in your mind yeah. instantly. Absolutely. Um, that, as you say, you have to be quite sort of sensitive about recommendations. In, in terms of the the different groups um, of, of people that you that you spoke to, were there some kind of common themes around you know what teachers thought versus what parents or senior leaders? Yeah, thought? so there were there were subtle differences. Mm. Let's put it that way. So, for example, um, the regularity with which schools should be providing assessment information to parents. You know, we heard okay, quite a wide yeah. variety of views about about how often activities like that should take place. Where there was real unity, mm. I think, was an acceptance and an acknowledgement that schools and teachers are pulled in multiple different directions by assessment and by accountability. Um, I mean, you rightly say that when we talk about assessment, you know, actually we're talking about lots of different things. Mm. And I think very often you start talking about assessment and you end up talking about accountability. It is yes. hard to talk about. Yeah. It's often hard to talk about one without the other. Um, so I think there was a real acknowledgement among the the whole range of stakeholders that we spoke to that that's a real that's a that's a real challenge mm. for schools day to day. Yeah, I, I, um, I think it's a phrase um, uh, in the report around how to make sure that assessment underpins but doesn't undermine mm. good teaching. Yeah, absolutely. And and. I know as somebody with with a, with a little tiny bit of experience around um, sort of school improvement, you know, there is there are only so many times you can measure something. Mm. You know, <laughs> the, <laughs> I don't like it when people talk about weighing pigs or whatever, but that's yeah. the kind of analogy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that this sort of constant constant need for 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 data means that there's no actual time for for I teaching to take place. I don't want to sort of. I'm trying not to sound facetious, but but I, obviously it depends what you mean by data. Mm. So mm. if what you mean by data is a tracking spreadsheet with 73.4% mm. versus 78.6%, you know, yes, yeah. often that is what we're talking about. And, you know, you're absolutely right that we need to be really careful about the influence that that has on day-to-day -day mm. practice. Um, 
if we take data to mean a conversation between a teacher and a student, yeah, um, uh, a well a well framed question, mm. or um, you know a, a purposeful discussion, yeah. then you know that's that's massively powerful, and that's the kind of assessment that I think teachers often feel frustrated that they can't spend a bit more time focusing on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the um, consultation. Uh, what would you say were the kind of key recommendations from the report, particularly around things like accountability? So in terms of accountability, the report highlighted a range of recommendations. Um, I'm going to just pick out one that I think is particularly interesting, mm. um, which was a move to three-year averages for headline performance data for schools. Okay. So... The Department for Education does currently publish information about schools' performance averaged out across mm. three years in terms of the headline measures at Key Stage 2 and Key Stage 4. We think a more wholesale shift towards those benchmarks and those becoming mm. the headline figure for school performance would be really positive. And the reason is that it would help address the year-on-year -year fluctuation, which is... Yeah. Not necessarily related to the quality of teaching and learning in, in the school, but is related to a whole load of other random factors that are going on outside the school gates. And a three-year average would help alleviate some of the pressure on school leaders to think more short-term, mm. enable slightly more medium-long-term thinking about things like curriculum design, yeah. for example, while still permitting... Um, you know, a, a speedy response mm. if you know if performance does dip in a major yeah. way. So that was that was one thing that we felt really strongly about. Another thing that we've been calling for since is the removal of the outstanding grade. And this wasn't something that came up in the testing the water report itself, um, but it's something that our organisation and others are in favour of, largely for similar reasons. I must mm. say. In as much as chasing the chasing of this yeah. outstanding rating, you know, can actually produce, you know, it can have quite a negative impact mm. in terms of things like teacher workload and, and the, the encouraging, I suppose, more short-term thinking, again, about things like curriculum design, away from um, something that's a bit more strategic and longer term. Yeah. So those are two things that, you know, we certainly think would be, would be really powerful. And so, um, in, in terms of what you what you saw in that report and and in consultation, a little bit of, of time has has elapsed. Have you seen any kinds of shifts in in attitude since you you did that first report? Has there been any kind of follow follow up follow on from from that that makes you think that there are some positive moves in the right direction? I think so. Um, so. Um, in terms of what schools are doing and in terms of what teachers are doing, I think you know there was there was a high level of engagement with research and with um, I suppose what we could broadly call a kind of evidence debate mm. um, prior um, to 2017. Yeah. But I think you know obviously that, with that's levels coming out of national curriculum levels and those sorts of things, I feel like there was yeah, a lot and of I th yeah that sort discussion of discussion. I suppose in some ways probably fueled mm. that you know when you when you you know, with the removal of levels, which was seismic, you know, yeah. let's not understate how important that was in terms of um, affecting schools. Um, you know, when you take something away that that's fundamental, it can prompt 
um, you know, reflection and it can prompt discussion. Mm. You know, Claire Seeley, for example, a primary head who's uh, we, we talk about in the uh, report, um, you know, she made that exact point. Levels were removed and that was the opportunity, that was the spur for mm. her really to reflect on what the school was doing and to reframe its, um, you know, well, its curriculum, yeah. um, but then assessment um, as, a, as a part of that. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, at the national level, there have been these changes, the removal of levels more recently, you know, we've got the development of different teacher frameworks, um, obviously the, the creation and the implementation of new tests at mm. primary, new exams at secondary. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that affects how schools are thinking about this. Um, so no, lots has been changing. I think there's lots of engagement with this as a, as a subject and, you know, long may that continue and on the point about um sort of awareness and engagement with mm. assessment and how that's been changing one of the sort of headline findings of our 2017, 2017 report was that actually classroom teacher confidence in assessment is not perhaps where we'd like it to be mm. so i'll be really specific um you know we asked teachers to say how confident they felt in conducting day-to-day assessments in their classrooms and there was a very interesting trend. Classroom teachers, the people who were in classrooms day to day, a third said they felt very confident. Mm. In fact, to frame that differently, <laughs> yeah. you know, and perhaps more worryingly, two thirds don't feel very confident, um, okay. which is yeah. perhaps disconcerting. But when you look at the responses by seniority mm. and by job role, um, middle leaders feel proportionately more confident head teachers and principals mm. are the most confident. Yeah. So a higher proportion of those groups are saying that they felt very confident in assessment. An optimistic reading of that is that with more experience and with more seniority and with more responsibility mm. for schools um, provision, people feel more confident in assessment. And you know, I suppose you could take the uh, you could take the argument that that's that's a good thing. Another interpretation is that it's worrying that the people actually living assessment day to day don't feel more confident yeah. doing it. And I, I think one of the main things for me, having been a teacher and doing this research, was I, le- I learned so much about assessment through the process of doing mm. this report. Mm. And I feel as though my ability to push back on bad assessment ideas now would be much greater than it mm. was prior to that. So in terms of teachers' ability and confidence to push back on bad ideas, and by bad ideas I mean weekly tracking of yeah. people's summative data, stuff that kills teachers in terms mm. of workload mm. and that has a non-existent and arguably negative impact on learning, yeah. massively diverting teachers' time away from other more fruitful forms of assessment. I feel my ability to push back on that Mm. now would be a lot more robust. So actually the fact that teachers don't feel more confident, I think, should be a concern. Mm. So on the point of engagement, as I say, you know, yes, I think we can take encouragement from the fact that there's a really constructive, um, rigorous engagement with evidence um, on things like Twitter and at, you know, research ed conferences Mm. and various other conferences around the country. Of course, through resources like the key. The flip side is we've still got a way to go. Mm-hmm. And I think the more support that we can provide teachers in a way that's useful for them day to day, I think uh, the better. Yeah, and I guess the, the, the point you touched on there about um, 
you know tracking and lots of information flowing flowing to middle and 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 senior leaders is is something about um those people who are confident in assessing as you say they've got more experience in the classroom and that's why they've moved up in the leadership scale kind of um needing to check that other people are you know are on track and doing things but actually that that workload is being created and you can't just have a dialogue say about I'm a class teacher here's my class I can tell you who's on target and who isn't I don't have to evidence that Mm. via some kind of tracking tracking information yeah I think there's a couple of things there I mean one is what what is it that you're doing it for what's the purpose Mm. the what's the function the assessment is serving weekly tracking okay Mm. I mean you know I I suppose I understand the rationale um, for that in some respects but actually there's an opportunity cost and Mm. if teachers are doing that they're not doing something else that then leads into a definite worry which is that okay we're obtaining all this tracking data which imposes all this marking and all of the you know Mm. a very particular type of assessment what we're not doing is gathering other forms of assessment information um which which i think that should be a concern yeah yeah and it's and as you say it's a question about who's it who's it for and what format does it need to be in for actually impact on outcomes not producing weekly tracking data does not mean that you don't know how students are doing in (laughs) in your class and in fact could well increase the chance of you know actually Mm -hmm. having a really um a really valid and a really rich understanding of how students are doing so while we were researching the report, um, and actually I think addressing some of the themes mm. that have come up in our conversation today, um, we encountered schools, you know, I mentioned earlier, we visited schools to take case studies of, of the sorts of things that they're doing to um, have a positive influence on assessment. I mentioned Claire Seely already, St Matthias yeah. Primary School. So they've, they've introduced some really... Um, short sharp Mm. assessments as part of daily and weekly practice so they you know they they might be short multiple choice quizzes Mm -hmm. for example Um, things that just give the teacher a really short sharp indication of you know how pupils are where pupils are in terms of their understanding of a topic Mm. okay yes it's not perfect it's not a kind of full summative uh, picture of a pupil's understanding but that's not really the point it's yeah. it's meant to be quick it's meant to be easy to implement and just give that teacher that indicative guide they have what they call check it so they come back after three weeks and they revisit a topic and they retest the students mm. to see what they've retained and there's a double benefit there one um, the actual process of revisiting content helps with recall and ultimately helps with knowledge retention mm. but secondly obviously if pupils have forgotten it all yeah <laughs> or they've developed mis- misunderstandings in that time mm. they can be addressed yeah and then um both uh, sort of termly and and annually um different forms of summative assessment being undertaken and i think the other thing that claire does which i do think is is really positive is she uses external um standardized assessments yeah. to benchmark how pupils are doing she's not doing that for accountability purposes she's not you know putting students through that to, you know, cause undue stress or, you know, there's nothing nefarious about what she's doing. It is purely to help her as a school leader understand how the students are doing in comparison with the national Mm. cohort. In her words, to check that she's not operating in some fool's paradise. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which, and those are her words, not mine. A secondary example, and, you know, I, I 
you know, I'm, I make no apologies for using this as an example, is Michaela. Mm. Um, I think what Michaela Community School up in Wembley does is really smart when it comes to assessment. Um, you know, it's it's actually it mirrors, I think, some of the good principles um, that are in place at St Matthias in terms of regular low stakes testing, mm. which serve both, um, you know, that kind of quick, short, sharp impression yeah. of the teacher about whether students have grasped the topic or not, where's their understanding at, concurrent with more detailed, rich, summative testing, mm. um, which occurs, you know, at more staggered intervals mm. um, to provide that more rounded, rich information. Yeah. And of course, you know, classroom dialogue, verbal questioning, um, and so on. Mm. So I think, you know, two, two examples of um, schools which have you know, I'm not saying they're perfect examples, no. but they have found ways of doing it which are much more efficient mm. and which have a big impact on teacher workload in a good way. Yeah, yeah. We should just point out, I think, that Claire Seeley has moved on from St Matthias, but right. as you say, it's, I'm sure a lot of the practice is still in place and it's a re- really relevant example. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that you've just come back from Canada. Um, how does the UK's approach to and understanding of assessment div- differ in comparison with other Gosh, countries. Gosh, okay. So just, a, just a short question there, <laughs> not too much. So <laughs> just to set the context, um, Centre for Education and Youth, CFUY, is um, undertaking a follow-up project um, commissioned by Pearson called Making Waves. We're looking at interventions at different levels, as I say. Mm. What are individual teachers doing, schools, groups of schools, and whole jurisdictions, of which British Columbia and Canada is one. All of the steps that they're taking to help address teacher workload and mm. confidence in relation to assessment. I've just got back from a fortnight in Canada. It was the third of three trips um, that I spent out there. I was meeting with teachers, with students, with policymakers, actually politicians on this trip, which was which was interesting. Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, um, and parents as well. So a really wide range of people talking about the curriculum and assessment reforms that are underway. It's, you've asked me a short question. I could spend the yeah. next 12 hours talking about it. So, um, again, just by way of setting context, British Columbia is obviously very high performing. It does very well in the PISA rankings. Um, you know, it has what I think most people would look at and think of as a very good education system, both in terms of academic outcomes, but also other outcomes. You know, students are pretty happy in schools there as well. So there's lots of things that they've been doing right. Um, introduced a pretty kind of far-reaching set of reforms to the curriculum and assessment around essentially reorientating it away from a very, very content-heavy focus. Mm. So they had, a, you know, quite literally the curriculum was a very, very long document yeah. with a whole raft of things that needed to be covered at each stage. I mean, I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here and say it resembles quite closely what we now have okay interesting so you know if you look particularly at the primary curriculum you know it's it's long you know hundreds of pages particularly for english and maths you know Mm. bc british columbia had something more akin to that i think before these reforms there's been an effort to scale that back and reorientate that towards a set of core competencies so they've got um set of core competencies which which um, focus on things like social and emotional well-being communication critical thinking and so on and so all of the curriculum is seen as a means of building those those 
that small cluster of core competencies. Um, the reason for that, or the reasons for that, include things like um, wanting to make sure that they stay ahead with the curriculum. You know, what they had was good, but they don't yeah. want to rest on their laurels. Um, I suppose there's a teacher workload implication. It's really more of a teacher autonomy point, I think, than a teacher workload point. I think they wanted to scale back the curriculum content, literally, in terms of words on the page, to give teachers a bit more freedom about how they were actually teaching things in their classroom. And accordingly, you know, assessment has it, well, is changing. So how um, grades are reported to parents, for example, is changing. So in some districts, there's a move away from letter grades and from percentages, which are obviously a very kind of blunt summative. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not useful, but mm. they are a blunt summative indication of how a student is doing at a particular point in time. Much more towards... Um, something more discursive, more narrative mm. around, you know, here are the sorts of things we've been covering and here are some of the things I've observed in terms of your child's achievements. Yeah. In some districts, again, they're experimenting with, with what that reporting looks like. So it might be an e-portfolio online, which the parent can log into and see pictures of what they're do their child's doing or okay. videos of what their child's doing or examples of written work yeah. um, or kind of comments from the teacher um, but it's a lot more fluid, and yeah. the idea is that it's much more real-time. Um, students self-assess. So there's a self-assessment component to it. So as part of the statutory reporting that you know is provided to parents, students say, as a communicator, as a critical thinker, I think I'm performing in the oh, following ways. Okay, interesting. So it's quite an interesting... Um, change in, in emphasis mm. I suppose taking it away from the teacher providing more of a blunt summative judgment yeah. and putting the emphasis much more on student self agency self agency um, I mean obviously a lot of your listeners will be working in schools and will be able to yeah. draw conclusions for themselves about the differences between that and our system yeah. I think one of the things it took me quite a an effort to get my head around was how different accountability looks in the BC context mm. in comparison with here. Like, really, this was a... I had to really wrestle <laughs> my frame of reference yeah. around for this because, obviously, in England, we have high-stakes accountability yeah. in the form of tests and exams. That feeds into Ofsted. You then have Ofsted mm. separately coming into schools and, you know, providing that external judgment yeah. about how how schools are performing you know it's very it's both um quite extensive and also high stakes yeah. in british columbia none of that looks the same there's not um an external inspectorate coming into schools in the same way certainly nothing anything close to ofsted um the provincial assessments that students take at the end of their secondary school time which they need to graduate look very different um, and actually you know now they don't even technically need to pass those exams to graduate from high school so that's quite interesting you know yeah. so in terms of it being a high stakes assessment you know there's a there's an interesting I think piece there um, the levers that the ministry district personnel so the people working they're, they're not the same as local authorities but mm. let's let's describe them as being analogous to local authorities yeah. you know clusters of local schools superintendents who are working across and responsible for school districts they're 
school principals don't have the levers at their disposal that we do over here. So there's not Ofsted, there's not an accountability framework that you can tweak from Whitehall and overnight change school behaviour. It's not the case that a school inspector can can go in and make a decision or a judgment that affects a head teacher's career overnight. It's not the case that teachers will be being monitored in terms of performance management according to Ofsted. You know, none of that is going on. And that that takes some getting used to as an outsider coming in and looking at the system. Much more based in professional trust. Um, There's a very strong union presence in the province. So there's some interesting politics there around how the ministry and how the... BCTF, the British Columbia Teachers Federation, interact. Um, representatives from both organisations have been very generous with yeah. their time for our research. You know, I had great conversations with people from both organisations um, and exploring the tension of how those two work together is really, you know, it's fascinating, but again has an implication for how you affect change in schools. So, yeah. They're very different systems. Yeah, wow. You're 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 fresh from your from your journey, and I imagine it's going to be, yeah, a, a really fascinating process trying to work out how to how to share some of that very very different practice. I'm I'm worried people are like booking plane tickets to go and working in British Columbian schools. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's really interesting. <laughs> you know, I think. Okay, so I want to say two things. One is a more superficial, um, based on a sort of more superficial impression, and then one is one I hope is less so. So superficially, I think a lot of a lot of this sounds brilliant. Yeah. Okay, you've got a system that um, superficially looks like it has a lot of trust in its teachers, mm. gives teachers a lot of autonomy, um, where the ability of the ministry and of you know district level administrators to influence classroom practices is more limited and i I reckon that there's a you know that that's got some very appealing sounding elements Mm. to it certainly i would imagine for people listening in england i think it's more complicated than that um and I think, you know, it's, I mean, no doubt that, you know, the quality of education received by a lot of the students out there is is excellent. Mm. Um, I think there are some really interesting questions about what is the right balance between accountability and autonomy? Mm. Is there a tension between accountability and autonomy? Mm. I think it even raises questions like that. I think, you know, in terms of what will be the impact of these reforms, we have, we're going to have to just wait and yeah. see. Uh, it would be too early to say that wholesale this has improved outcomes or that it's negatively impacted outcomes. We're, we're, we're going to have to wait and see on that front. Um, so I think, as I say, I th- superficially there are some very appealing sounding things about the system, but I, I also think it throws into question all sorts of assumptions I had about the way into you know accountability interacted with things like assessment mm. um, and uh, our report which is forthcoming yeah well we we anticipate that eagerly um, and um, look forward to, to, to reading um, more um, more of your research um, into assessment is there anything you would want to say in, in closing on this topic? Well, um, we will certainly make sure that we share with your members 
that research when it comes out. We, as I say, we hope it's um, it's really practical for a whole range of people, policymakers, head teachers, and classroom teachers. So, absolutely something I think your members would be interested in. Well, thank you very much, Will. That's been um, yeah, just just a really um, illuminating uh, discussion um, f for me about particularly about um, a different um, jurisdictions' um, approach to um, assessment. Um, Thank you very much for joining us and thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com.